Hey, it is August 5th. It is 2018. Our message today is called Faithfulness Over Time. Now, depending on where your inflection is when you say that, you can put a space in over time and it means one thing, or you can put no space in between over and time and it means another. When you're thinking this morning about faithfulness over time, I'm encouraging there not to be a space there. And the reason is... Over time, the amount of time someone works beyond their normal working hours. It's also used to describe the kind of pay that you get. How many of you like overtime? I believe that we should have faithfulness in overtime. I believe that we should go well beyond what is considered normal in today's standards. Way beyond what we see in the average Christian church. I think that the Lord of glory is worth some faithfulness over time. I also think that can only be displayed over time. Turn with me to Joshua 24. We're going to be in verse 14. Say there when you were there. Today we're going to leave slides on this screen. We're going to put scriptures on that screen. And uh, hopefully that will help us move through this material. In Joshua 24, are you there? Peter, are you getting there, man? That boy gets more handsome every day, doesn't he? Peter got so skinny now, he can wear his stripes going that way. In Joshua 24, beginning in verse 14, now fear of the Lord, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. With how much faithfulness? You serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. How many of you have seen the last part of that? Joshua twenty four fifteen on a plaque somewhere. Now, I love that you raise your hands. That's awesome. But you can speak out loud in church. It won't hurt you. In fact, if you're sitting next to a stiff Caucasian, just look at him and say, it's okay to speak out loud in church. It's not going to hurt anybody. Now, if somebody said that to you, don't practice data denial. I told them to speak to a stiff Caucasian. You don't want to be that, do you? Look, we love that the body of Christ is full of every kind of person. Jesus himself was a Jew descended all the way from Abraham. I was not. I'm a redneck descended from trash. But when I got born again... I took on a heavenly identity. That's what's happened. I've seen this on a plaque in houses. By the way, most of the time, it does not indicate that the house is actually serving the Lord. But I've seen it on a plaque many, many times. You know what I've never seen? The verse before it. I've never seen that. Uh, Maybe it's because it doesn't fit. Or maybe it's because it was thought to be uh, not necessary. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose who you want to serve. Do you notice that Joshua is not begging people to follow the God of Israel? Do you know why? Because when you are serving the ultimate, you don't have to beg people to participate. Amen. 
We do not need to lower the gospel standards by begging people to accept Jesus. The better question is, when Jesus looks at your life, does he find you acceptable? Not whether or not you find Jesus acceptable. He is the ultimate. Today, we're going to take a hard look at the things that Jesus finds acceptable. I'm pleased to say that many of them are in this church, and I'm excited about that. We'll also be challenged with areas that we have to grow. I won't be preaching to somebody somewhere else in a galaxy far, far away. I'll be speaking with you right out of my own weakness and experience. How many of you have been to the doctor this year? Did the doctor tell you what was wrong with your neighbor? Or did that doctor address your physical condition? Well, I intend to address your spiritual condition today. I have no interest in your neighbor. That would be your job when you leave here. Some translations take that last, uh, that, that verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. And it says in some translations with sincerity and truth. I don't know whether you've heard the etymology of sincerity before. But instead of, you need to put 14 on the screen. Instead of uh, faithfulness, some translations where faithfulness is here say, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all sincerity and truth. There is a common teaching that says that sincerity comes from a Latin base. Uh, sine, which means without, and sera, which means wax. The idea is sincere in its essence means something that is unmixed, unpolluted, unadulterated. And they say that it descends from a time when if you're selling pottery and because of the testing of the furnace and the heat of the furnace, the pottery cracked somewhere in, in the time period that it was being cooked and formed, that you could cover a very small crack with wax. You could shine it up. And then you could put it out there for somebody to buy. They would buy it. They would go home. And they wouldn't notice that there was a hairline crack in it until they heated it up. And then, of course, it could be their fault. So if something was sincere, it was unpolluted with that kind of chicanery. Yeah, how about that? That's my grandfather's language there. Chicanery. Our faith... Our truthful relationship with the Lord cannot be covered with wax. Now, my friends that are in Iraq right now, when they go to the fruit market, the best fruit that is there, the biggest fruit that is there, has been exported from the United States. None of the locals will buy it because it's covered in a thick layer of wax to make it look better than it actually is. They actually want the ones that they can see small imperfections in that are a little bit undersized and that they don't have to eat all of that wax to eat it. We need to be careful that we're Christians that don't have a thick layer of wax on us. Hiding our imperfections, glossing over it, trying to appear better than we actually are. Because there's a day when the heat of the coming of the Lord, it'll reveal whatever we are. It's a lot better to be honest with Him now and let Him begin to repair us than for us to try to hide it. You know, the kind of thing that smiles with a pretty... Wow, this is my wife on the front row. Sometimes when I said pretty, it, it distracted me, you know. She's a grandma now. A sexy grandma. And even my beautiful wife, sometimes she looks at me and bats her eyes and says everything's fine. But do we have any husbands in the house? Yes. I know it's not fine. 
Like she said, oh, it's, it's fine, which means I don't want to talk about it, let's move on. But I know that it's not fine. In our congregation, some of us are smiling at each other saying, oh, you know, it's fine. And you want it to be fine. It's a statement of faith that it's fine. But we're not doing what it takes to remove the reasons that it's not actually fine. Man, that's, uh, that's something that I, I, I hope we can get to today. Our prayer today is going to be what the psalmist says. In Psalm 139, beginning at verse 23, this will set our attitude today. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Now, if you want the Lord to search your neighbor, I don't know whether he'll meet that request. But if you ask the Lord to search you, he will meet that request. He desires truth in your inmost being. He will search you. He will help you divide your thoughts from your emotions. He will help you divide those innermost things. Have you ever felt a certain way and you don't even know why? Like you woke up and you were flat and you just couldn't get out of it. The Lord will show you why those things happen in your life. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. How many of you would like to remove offensive ways from you? Now, if you didn't speak out loud, if you didn't raise your hands... You intend to be offensive to the Lord. You might as well leave now. I hope that's not the case. But if it is the case, there is no hope that you can be saved. There's no hope that you will impress the Lord in some way. And it's very difficult for the rest of us that are striving with all of our heart falling on our face. Do you want to remove offensive ways from you? Amen. Then we've got something to work with and you are the people of God. The world cares nothing about their sin. In fact, Psalm 36 says that a wicked man uh, loves himself, flatters himself too much to hate or detect his own sin. If you're not aware of the ways in which you're letting the Lord down right now as you sit here, then you have a flattery problem. But if you're grieving over your condition and thanking him that he credits you with his righteousness and you're asking him to transform your life, oh, then you're a son of God and you're going to be perfected in his image. The concept of faithfulness and sincerity has been pretty distorted in our time. Uh, it's my hope today to provoke you to a more biblical view. In order to do that, I want to show you the word that is used in Joshua for faithfulness. And um, it's Strong's number 571. It's emet. I want to read you a little bit about this. A feminine noun meaning truth. Faithfulness is true. In Louisiana, we used to say, are you going to be true to me? Is that for true? I don't have anybody from Louisiana in here. Damien, can you help me out? Anybody ever looked at you and said, you being for true? That's, that's how we grew up with it. And what we meant is, or is what you're saying going to be true when we leave this conversation? Or is it like the last warranty a salesman sold me? When I was out of sight, his out of sight warranty was gone. The whole point of this passage is that we're supposed to serve the Lord in all or complete truthfulness, which the Bible calls faithfulness. It is frequently connected with loving 
kindness, when you are true to the Lord, honest with him, without wax, without adulteration, he calls it loving kindness. And that is how he is to you. Occasionally, it's with other terms such as peace or righteousness or justice. Here's a big one. To walk in truth is to conduct oneself according to God's holy standards. Is it possible to walk in faithfulness then and not walk in holiness? It's really not. People say, well, I have faith and I believe that the Lord is just going to ignore all of that. No, faith is that he will give you the power to overcome it if you trust him and obey him. We are not supposed to struggle indefinitely with the same things. Now, he drives it out little by little, and sometimes indefinitely feels like five years is indefinitely, or ten years is indefinitely, but he promises you that the one who began the good work in you will complete it. He says, truth was the barometer for measuring both one's word and actions. According to God's words and actions... Uh, they're characterized by this Hebrew term. Indeed, God is the only God of truth. That is the claim that the scripture makes, and that is its technical definition. I want to show you another one, one that a Hebrew child in Moses' day would understand. This is how emet is spelled in Hebrew. I've put it from left to right instead of right to left so that it's easy for us to understand. The first word is an aleph, I'm sorry, first letter. The second is a mem, and the third is a tav. When you see that word, each of these letters look like something in ancient Hebrew. In ancient Hebrew, the aleph looked a lot more like an oxen, and it carried with it the idea of strength or leadership. When a child saw that, uh, for instance, it's the first letter in the word father. The second letter in the word father is a bet. And it meant strong leader of a home. A child could see that before he could phonetically sound it out. In this word, looking at their pictorial representations, the word emet, which is truthfulness or faithfulness, is a leader blood sign. That's an interesting concept, don't you think? That when you looked at this, the true example of what faithfulness would be is a leader who left a blood sign. In other words, somebody that was truthful until their blood was shed, it would leave a sign. I think we see that in the ministry of Jesus, don't we? When we move on from this concept, I want you to understand that when we say faithfulness, we're talking about wanting to live in a way that is marked by Jesus' blood and a way that is worthy of Jesus' blood. If you had to look back at this last week, I don't know what your week was like. For some of you, I'm sure it was very good. For some of you, not. Are you confident that your character was worthy of the blood that was shed for you? Because that's the goal that we're striving for. It's not my desire to bring heavy condemnation. That's not the point. The point is to bring serious introspection. When Judah opened the service, he said that we are the kind of people that hold out the word of life in a crooked and depraved generation. That was Philippians 1.26. How do we hold out the word of life if we're not faithful? What will people see? Will it be something flickering like a strobe light with a distorted image? Or will it be something as consistent as the sun coming up every day and driving out darkness? Consistency is a key in faithfulness. Do you agree with that? 
This is kind of what Paul encouraged Timothy, one pastor to another. In 2 Timothy 2.15, we see it this way. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Do your what? Are you doing your best to be conscious of the Lord in every decision that you make? Are you doing your best to live in a way that the Lord would approve of in everything that you do? Or do you mostly focus on those things a couple hours a week at church services? Do you mostly focus on those things at a quiet time in the morning? Because what the Lord is actually looking for in us is consistency day in and day out in a way that shows what he shed his blood to purchase. He shed his blood to purchase his church. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. I don't know if you ever had one of these kind of bosses, but I did. Hey boss, it's time to go. I think I'm going to head home. Well, if you think you did an honest day's work. Well, it's five o'clock. That's the time we go home. No, boss thought it was time to go home when you had earned the amount of money that you were being paid that day. Now tell me, is that convicting to you? That's that's searingly convicting to me. Because I actually looked very hard for jobs that paid me whether I earned it or not. That was the whole point. Um, I, I wanted a more for less, like more pay for less work kind of situation. When we approach the kingdom that way, you end up saying things like, all that matters is that we go to heaven. All you have to do is believe on Jesus. And those become for you the starting point and the ending part. And you're assuming your pay no matter how you live. And it produces a mediocre Christian. It really does. In fact, it produces the kind of Christian that nobody wants to be like. And everyone says they don't go to church because of those kind of Christians. Which begs the question, who has the responsibility to stand up and be a faithful Christian? See, I say that falls to us. I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't care much for most pastors that I met growing up, and I cared even less for their congregations. Um, I saw it as a ridiculous charade, because the people that were at the altars on Sundays were in the back seat of the cars on Fridays. They loved the world, they lived in the world, and then they went to church and it pacified their conscience. We are not here to pacify anyone's conscience today. In fact, the truth is I'll probably step all over your conscience today and feel good about myself for having done it. Nobody, nobody properly assesses their life without a little stimulation towards that. Faith can be shown in a moment. Have you ever seen a great moment where someone was healed? How many of you have witnessed a healing in this church? We've seen people get out of wheelchairs, dead bodies, lifeless, coded, gone, raised back to life, live weeks more, say bye to all their friends, family, relatives, and then go to be with Jesus. We've seen all kind of miracles in this church. We're, we're that kind of church. We'll pray for more miracles here today, and we will receive them. But that, that is what we would say is a moment of faith. You really can't display faithfulness in a moment. I mean, if you think about that, it has to be through consistency over a length of time. Are you faithful if it only lasts an hour? Are you faithful if it only lasts a week? Are you faithful if you gave it a really good month or year? 
Kind of a sad commentary on society that we no longer seem to measure faithfulness in decades. You know, let me ask you, we got any ladies in the house? Is it faithfulness if he was faithful for the hour he was with you? The month he was with you? Why do we think Jesus will accept less? Well, why do we think Jesus is less particular as the Lord of all holiness and righteousness than you are particular? This lends to the idea, well, you know, I hope it works out. I, th- I think I've inherited the kingdom of God. Well, if there's faithfulness over time, there'll be fruit that demonstrates that you're in the kingdom of God. But it takes time. Do we have any gardeners here? Anybody that grows anything? Very few of us, but right in the center of the church, praise God, we have a few that are growing things. You cannot throw a seed in the ground and walk back the next day and a tomato's on the vine. I mean, some things grow quickly. Weeds, you know. Some animals reproduce quickly. Wolves, (laughs) you know. But things that are worth eating, they take a while to grow. A little faithfulness to what was planted. It has to be watered. It has to grow up to produce fruit. We need to move away from the idea that because you made a decision when you were eight years old that you've never shown faithfulness over, that you have any special standing with the Lord. That is about like baptizing an infant and calling him saved. That, that sort of decisionism is sending people to hell in a handbasket or a baby basket. I want to show you what God says about this in Hosea 4. Hosea 4 in verse 1. Say there when you get there. Quiet church this morning. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites. Who are we speaking to? These are the people of God. They were adopted as sons. They still, they are covered under the blood of the Lamb. They, they walked through the Red Sea like a baptism and were fed manna from heaven. They are the people of God. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bonds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. A society that was designed by God, purchased by God, and led by His presence, had descended into momentary faith and no faithfulness. You can read about this in things like the time period of the judges. A judge is raised up and everybody does good for a while. And then they go right back to their same captivity and bondage. And they have to cry out to the Lord again. And then he raises up the Savior again and they're on a cycle. It's a good thing that nobody today is on a cycle like that, huh? I'm not going to ask how many of you have ever had marriage counseling. Inside or outside the church. Let's just not do that. But let me ask you. An honest question. Did you take your relationship more seriously during the time you were actually in counseling than you did last week? I know for sure that there are people in this church that have keepsake notebooks about their faithfulness to their spouse, how much they love them. They have cards that help them remember the practices that they're supposed to be carrying out daily. And I know for sure that if I had to ask you to find it right now, Many of you would take more than a few hours to locate. 
but you promised during marriage counseling that you'd carry the card on your person forever. Do you see how we make promises and we think we're faithful to them because we agreed to it? Agreeing is not faithfulness. Faithfulness is doing the same thing at the end of the project you were doing at the beginning and trusting that God will bring it to completion. The very first church that God warns in the book of Revelation is Ephesus. And he has many praiseful things to say to him, but he says, you need to return to your first love. In the church, we need to be very careful that we've not pacified our conscience by making good promises that we're not being faithful to today. Anybody here ever give a New Year's resolution? Yeah, that's... uh. How many of you didn't lose the weight you said you were going to lose? How many of you didn't, didn't fulfill the exercise agreement that you, you made? Okay, look. We know exactly what it is to be unfaithful. We, I love to preach in the jail with the guys in the back. And the reason that I do is by the time you're wearing that pretty bright orange jumpsuit and the uh, really super cool Crocs they give you at the county lockup, you don't need somebody to show you anymore that you've been unfaithful. You already know that. And so the Spirit of God rushes in those rooms in a way that often leaves everybody slain in the Spirit. But in suburbia, we have to spend a little time believing and, and looking at God's Word to see the ways in which we might need to improve our faithfulness. Proverbs 3, 3 through 4, I think, is where we want to go. Let's Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Love and faithfulness will cause you to have favor with whom and whom? God and man. The more faithful you are to the Lord, the more faithful you'll be to your spouse. The more faithful you'll be to your friends. The more faithful you'll be to your employer. Faithfulness to the living God shows up in how we treat each other. You know what else that means? It means that you can look at how you're treating your spouse, how you're treating your friends, how you're treating the world around you, and know that that is a reflection of whether or not you're close to the Lord. When you tell somebody, hey, brother, I will be there to help you move, can they count on it? Or does that mean that you intend to be there to help them move? When you say, hey, I'll be there at 5 a.m. And then you roll in at 7 and say, oh, you know, I'm really sorry. Is that faithfulness? And if you will do that to men that you can see, what does that mean about God who you can't see? Are you beginning to get the relationship between faithfulness? We've exalted creed in our time so high that deeds are unimportant to us. We've said that what you believe is everything. I'm saying that what you believed is evidenced by what you do. And you can examine your own faithfulness by looking at what you have done over time. How many of you have been in love with the Lord more than five years? More than ten years? More than fifteen? Are there years that you can look and see that you didn't grow? Because if there are, that was an unfaithful year. But if you can stand here today and say, I'm further along today than I was at any point in my walk before, then God's faithfulness has led you to faithfulness. And what you had was a bad year. <laughs> but what you also have is a faithful 
life. This ministry was built on faithfulness. It's exemplified in the way that the pastors relate to each other. I want to show you some of that. This is 16-year-old Matthew Pirro and 16-year-old Eric Stephen. I told you I was born to rednecks. At our family reunions, all rear tires are twice the width of front tires. And all beverages are uh, consumed right out of a paper sack. So I don't go to family reunions anymore. I'm now in a new family. Isn't Matthew handsome? This is 16. I, I think I'm getting an award for warming the bench. And Matt is getting an award for, you know, the most awesome athlete there's ever been in history. We used to call him Jim Thorpe, you know. <laughs> you did get the most improved award. <laughs> That's true. We're only 16 years old here, and we're lost. Now, the reason that I'm showing you that picture is right around this time, two lost young men pulled into a parking lot. Strange thing to do. We're sitting there, and we begin to notice how unfaithful all of our friends are around us. We begin to pray. Lost guys, pray. We ask that Jesus would show us what true friendship was. Now, we were in a Christian environment, so we knew to pray to Jesus, but none of us were in relationship with Jesus. You know, we prayed together, but the Lord answered Matt's prayer much faster than mine. He was born again later, uh, less than a year from that. This is Matthew when he got born again. And um, Matthew began to pray for two more years until I came into the kingdom. During that time, I called Matthew ugly names. I was hurt because he separated himself from the world, and I was the world, and I didn't like the fact that he separated from me, and he was righteous. It said something about me, and I knew it. If the righteous can't stand with you, what does that say about you? Yeah, It hurt my feelings. I remember stepping on his hands in the football pile. I spit in his face. Uh, I, I, I said ugly things. He prayed me right into the kingdom. In 1994, in Denton, Texas, at a Promise Keepers meeting, this is proof that there was a time I did have abs. They're now relaxed. They're under several layers of protective insulation. And um, it's almost like a jello mold fell on that guy and became me. Um, we now have a church in Denton, Texas, called the Remnant Church, pastored by... Michael Hutchinson. I'm showing you a picture from 1994 because this was one of our first big Christian events. And at this event, there were 50,000 Christian men. And a leader came out and he said that there was a storm approaching. And because the storm was approaching, all the men of God, and there's only men here, should stand and pray and God would turn the storm. So all of these men, a few minutes after this picture, stand and turn and pray that God would turn the storm. About eight or nine minutes into the prayer, one of the speaker towers falls over. There's sparks. There's a little bit of commotion. And the same guy comes back to the mic and yells, everybody run. <laughs> Turns out he sold a lot more books than he had courage. Matthew and I stayed standing there. We took it as an opportunity to have a slip and slide on a hundred yard field. We witnessed to people. We walked home 
some seven miles. I remember that I still have strawberries on the inside of my thighs from that. Our faithfulness was to each other and to the Lord. You know, Matthew Pero baptized me. Is that strange? Matthew's younger than I am. Matthew was born again uh, 18 months before I was. But when I realized I needed to be baptized, you know who was standing there? Matthew. So we went out to a swimming pool and he baptized me on a Saturday morning in front of an entire crowd that ran like roaches from the light as we began to preach. When you look back, have you been faithful to the relationships that you have? Or have you only stuck together as long as they did reasonably what you expected them to do? And vice versa. See, our faithfulness to each other is a reflection of our faithfulness to the Lord. My proudest moment is that the men that I got born again with and immediately surrounded by uh, are still in the church today. We're going to show you more of that because it has a dramatic effect on each other's life when we are faithful to something over time. Anybody can be faithful in a moment. But you have a chance every day to be faithful. Now, the oldest couple, not chronologically, but the couple that's been in this church the longest are David and Jennifer Hull. They were here right as they began to start their family. David is several years older than us in this picture, and um, he was apparently suffering from some kind of wasting disease at this point in his life. And we're just, we're just kids. This is also 1994. We're so in love with the Lord that we've just had a whole Bible study about sanctification, and this is how we express hear no evil, smell no evil, and speak no evil. That picture's 24 years old, and we're still friends. We're not just still friends, we're still in church together. We're not just in church together, we view ourselves as in covenant together for life. We have to make it together. They would not look up one day and say, you know what? This church is just not doing it for me anymore. Had a rough couple months. I really don't know what to think about the new sound setup or the new chairs or carpet or whatever it is. You know, I think we're going to go look because they would see that as adulterous. We've been there for each other for our lifetimes. Are you comforted when people are with you for a lifetime? Isn't it good to be able to communicate sometimes with people just with a glance and know that you're going to be there? Mr. Charlie and Miss Joe have been there since the first day I was spirit-filled. Mr. Charlie has not stopped taking an opportunity in every month from that time till now to correct me. And I appreciate it. I need it. You need people in the faith that were there before you were. They, they were there before you were, and they've watched you grow, and they can both encourage you and tell you, hey, I get, you may have a thousand disciples, and I remember when you couldn't wipe your nose, what you just did was wrong. When we outgrow that, we become unfaithful. When we don't have those things in our life, then we display moments of faith, but we can easily walk away from a lifetime of faith. Can I tell you, since this picture was taken, I have prayed for thousands of people to get spirit-filled. Thousands. I mean, that's not um, an exaggeration by any way, shape, or form. Thousands. And look around you. 
How does that happen? So, well, it's a big kingdom. People go serve the Lord in all kind of places. I understand that. We believe that so much that we now have 10 one association churches. They came out of this church or the missions efforts of this church. But can I tell you, I can count on just one or two fingers how many people have left the church because it just wasn't doing it for them anymore and went on to do something for the Lord or a healthy part of the church anywhere else. I can count that on, on like one or two fingers. Is that frightening? We live in a time when you can look at your spouse and say, I'd rather have a new one and that's okay. And we live at a time when people can look at the place they were born again, spirit-filled, water baptized, and say, it's been a rough few months, I think. I think it could be more exciting somewhere else. I want to show you from Hebrews 11 how the people of faith lived. This will begin our exhortation. We're 36 minutes into the word. We never used to have clocks. And now we do, which are to keep me on some kind of pace. Hebrews 11 and verse 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Is there anybody here that thinks that God is unfaithful? Is he capricious like Allah? Is he violent or a trickster like Allah's pedophile prophet with his satanic book? The story of God is that he picked a place, a people, and had a plan. That place is Israel. The people is the Jewish nation. And his plan is their salvation. It was a mystery that you could be included in that. But a good mystery. Aren't you excited to be included in it? Your inclusion never changed the place that he was going to start the redemption, the people that he would start the redemption with, or his promise to that people in place that he would complete it. Because he's faithful. Abraham knew that he could trust God because he was faithful. Do people know that they can trust you because you're faithful? Faithfulness is everything. It represents the very character of God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. It's his faithfulness that made those promises come true. Let's go to verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were aliens and strangers here on earth. That doesn't mean that they are uh, extraterrestrials. It doesn't mean that this earth is a ball of dirt and they're going to leave it for a better home called heaven. That is a preacher's misconception. This means that the way in which they lived was alien to everyone else. It made them a stranger on earth, like somebody that nobody could understand. You would leave your home and a prosperous business and a rich family line to go somewhere believing God would show it to you? You would do that? You would stake your whole future on a promise that God would give you a child even though the last 75 years have proved that you couldn't have a child and you're going to have 20 more 
that also reinforce the idea you can't have a child? That is strange behavior, don't you think? It's alien to the world. But it is normal for the body of Christ. We have to have faith that expresses itself over decades or we don't have faith at all. I'd like to show you a few timelines about faithfulness. So our first one is Noah. Uh, this is funny. Uh, a friend made the timeline for me. He said Noah was zero years old. I don't know if anybody's ever zero years old. But uh, let's just say this is when Noah's life began in Genesis 5.28. By the time Noah was 480, anybody in here feel old? 480, he begins to build the ark. That is an incredible thing because it's when he's 500 years old that he becomes the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, maybe, maybe that was a progress, and by his 500 year, he had all three sons, but it looks very much like he began building the ark without even having the people who would be on it. That's interesting, isn't it? He becomes uh, the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth at 500. The flood comes at 600 years old. That means that for 120 years, Noah showed faithfulness, building an ark. How many of you have shown faithfulness for 120 months to something? When you think through this process, you start to realize that what we call faith and what the Bible calls faith really are different definitions. We call it faith when somebody has a warm, fuzzy moment. The Bible calls it faithfulness when God says a flood is coming and for 120 years you wake up every day and you build and do what God said to do because you trust him. That's called faithfulness. When you think about the ancient fathers, is your faithfulness being expressed like theirs? Because this is the faith that saved the world of Noah's day. By the time Noah dies, he's 950 years old. He's seen the old world. He's seen the new world. He's seen topography changes. The boat he got off of must have been radically different than the world before. It must have been shocking. And yet Noah did not receive everything that was promised him in his lifetime. And he died in faithfulness. How much discouragement will it take to get you to be unfaithful? Is it the loss of a job? Is it a child that is sick? How much does it take to get you off the course that God has put you on and feel completely justified in doing it? You're beginning to be able to measure your faithfulness. Let's take the next slide. Abraham, at 75 years old, he gets the promise uh, of God. By the time he is 100, Isaac is born. Anybody in here waiting for children to come still? Yeah. Man, that's, that's beautiful. You know how many times we have prayed for people and seen uh, those declared by the medical community sterile have children? You heard John and Joy's testimony here just Wednesday night. They have not one but two children. They had to fight for that child for seven years. And I want to tell you, there were ups and downs in that. Uh, and they fought, were faithful, never gave up. And they have not one but two children. Abraham, at a weak place in life, 75 years old, goes 25 years before Isaac is born. Think through that for a minute. Have you been waiting on something from the Lord for 25 years? Because when we say we're of the faith of Abraham, this is the kind of faith we're talking about. 
This is the faithfulness. He's 140 when he sees Isaac marry. Anybody in here waiting to get married? Come on. We had one brave man, two brave men. Can I tell you, if the rest of you don't grow a spine, there's no chance we'll ever marry you to some princess of God? Look at that. 40 years old to get married. That, um, that seems like it took a while, doesn't it? 160 years old when he sees his first grandchild. Think through that. That's 20 years of barrenness they had to fight through. That's incredible. It's not enough that for 25 years Abraham was barren. Uh, he has to wait till the son's 40 to get married and then she's barren for 20 years. Until she's not barren. See, faithfulness over time changes things. Look at, look at our last one. We have Abraham died 175 years old. Can anybody do the math between the time God called him and the time that he dies? 175 minus 100. I'm sorry, minus 75 is 100. He lived for a 100 years faithfully. He died in the faith believing God would bring about what he said he would bring about and his actions demonstrated. Do your actions demonstrate what you say you believe? If they do, people around you ought to be asking you. They ought to be talking to you. They ought to be wanting to know what the reason is for the hope that you have. If nobody's asking you those things, you have to consider something. Maybe the reason I'm not making the impact on the world that I want to is I haven't been faithful to my mission long enough. If you're always looking for a new task, if you're always looking for an easier route, how can you be demonstrating faithfulness? We know that if you want to become a doctor, you have to be faithful to your education for a certain number of years. Nobody gets to appoint themselves a doctor. And yet somehow or another, as debased as being a doctor is when compared to teaching the word of God, we think if we've been faithful for just a few years, that God surely has to come through now. And if he hasn't, something's wrong with everyone else or with me. How about Daniel? This time span from 605 B.C. to 536 B.C. is 69 years. These are the 69 years that Daniel is a teenager to an old man in captivity. Understand that Daniel's faith is 100% displayed under the worst of circumstances. For 69 years, he's a servant in a foreign court. And he's displaying faithfulness. Daniel begins his training as a teenager in Daniel 1. He interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. We have some of the greatest revelation in the history of mankind here. And 69 years is passing by. Point to the chapter where Daniel is unfaithful. See, there's a difference between a momentary exertion of faith. This is when you go stare down the cartel with a Bible in your hand. We've done that. But what good would that be if the next day I wasn't really sure God was for me? You could go on like this forever and ever. We could have inserted Moses. You know, Moses is 40 years old. He uh, attacks an Egyptian while he's trying to figure out how to lead God's people. He spends the next 40 years learning to be a good shepherd. And the last 40 years of his life, delivering only two people into a promised land. 
And I think he's the greatest man outside of Jesus that has ever lived, period. He spent the vast majority of his life in obscurity and faithfulness, all to deliver two people into a promised land. Sometimes when we're not faithful, it's simply because we don't think that it's worth it. How convinced are you that your life is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in Christ? See, I don't think you can measure faithfulness by what you've gained. I've seen license plates on Jaguars that say, I tithe. I've seen people in pimped out escalators. Their license plate says apostle. I think those people are going to receive an open rebuke in front of the Lord and all of the angels. Having said that, if you can't measure your faithfulness by what you've gained, then how do you measure faithfulness? Maybe it's in what you've lost. Can you say that you've lost all things for the sake of Christ? Can you say that everything in your life has fallen by the wayside for proving faithful to him? One of the many reasons that we don't see very many lives look like the lives on this slide, quite honestly, is because of offense. It's because of bitterness, hardness of heart, the deceitfulness of sin. In my house on Thursday nights for more than two years now, we've gathered every Thursday night that I'm in town. None of you have received a phone call because I don't call and invite people. None of you have received a personal invitation because I don't do that. The door is just open for anyone who comes by. And every Thursday without fail, between 20 and 40 people come by that I didn't call, that I didn't invite because they want something. And this last Thursday, Cassidy was one of the people that came by. These are Cassidy's notes on what she shared. Because on this night, on on Thursday night, I don't share anything. I want to hear what the people in the body of Christ are sharing. And Cassidy said, look, I've been studying Ezekiel 2.4. It's really moving me. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. This is God's word to Ezekiel at the top of her notes. When she looked up obstinate, she found out that the word meant hard, difficult, or severe. But the emphasis was on hard. She was surprised to find out it's a compound word. Face is the second word, ponium. Obstinate in Hebrew is expressed as hard-faced. An obstinate person in the Hebrew mindset of this time was a hard-faced person. She noticed that the word translated stubborn was a strong heart, a kazak lieb, a strong heart. When somebody is obstinate and stubborn, they have a hard face and a hard heart. That's an interesting pictorial description in Hebrew, don't you think? What was more interesting is as she began to look at the very next verse, she found out that it was because they're a rebellious house. When she looked at the word rebellion, Merai, she found out that its roots were from Mara, which is bitterness. How do you get a hard heart? How do you get a hard face? Because something happens that you don't think is good, and you let that bitterness begin to contort you. As she looked further into that, aside from Ezekiel being sent to them and he's being equipped for them, she found out that that word, Mara, comes from Exodus 15.23. Exodus 15.23 is the people are bitter because after being delivered from Egypt, after going through the Red Sea, they reach the other side and do you know what they're saying? 
know the Lord did all that, but there's still so much he hasn't done. You know, I just, I'm not sure he's doing enough for us. You know what that looks like in a Christian's life? I know the church is full of good people. I know Jerome and Gloria love me. The thing is, is I just, I can't connect. I don't feel fulfilled. I just, nobody can do enough for me. Now tell me that deception's not rolling around our church. If you want, we could call names. Let's just start with my name. I can't tell you how many times because of a battle, because of difficulty, because of hardship, I look around and go, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like I thought it would. And that turns into a hard heart and a hard face. Somebody says, hey, what's wrong, brother? You okay? Oh, everything's fine. You're not telling the truth. You're covering yourself with wax. And why? Because you don't really want to fix the problem. You want to sit in your hardness. That's not faithfulness. You know what faithfulness is? It strips away that wax and it says, I don't know what's wrong with me that I feel this way. I need help. And if you will help me, I will move on from this and never come back to it. I've watched Satan plant this little lie in our church to great effect. You know, as a pastor, I talk to almost everybody in the church on a monthly basis. And I hear it go from household to household. And you know what's the most amazing thing? Very often it's in a household that the Lord is doing amazing things in. Brand new, amazing jobs. uh, Children doing better than you could have ever thought before. And you know what? It's still not enough. Is that faithfulness or unfaithfulness? Now, do we want to deal with leprosy in the house of God or do we just want to cover it over and figure like it's going to be fine? I want to tell you it's Satan's deceiving tactic to have you winning and feeling like you're failing. And so you begin to act like you're failing instead of winning. I'm not playing tricks with you. I'm just telling you honestly. So many times in my life, things have, all the data says I should be happy, but I'm not. You know what? I'll be happy when. Oh, I'll be happy then. That's never where you'll be happy when you graduate college, but you did and you're not happy. You'll be happy when you find a spouse, but now you're not happy. You'll be happy when you have children, but you have children and you're not happy. You find out the problem's not your circumstances. The problem's your human heart. Have you been waiting To be happy for 20 years? I think we need to do business in the house of God. That's not faithfulness. That doesn't represent God's faithfulness. What that is, is a patient who insists on being injured despite all the doctor's efforts. Now, at the same time that's going on, at the same time, five, six families are expressing those kind of things. Wives to husbands, husbands to friends. At the same time that's happening, you know what the community is doing? We're sending missionaries further than we ever have. We're digging deeper to plant more churches than we ever have. The pastors themselves are suffering more personal loss than they ever have and need you more than ever. So why do you think the devil's lying in your home? Let's just be real. He's trying to destroy faithfulness and faithfulness is what this ministry operates on. It's who we are. It's who you are. And it's who God is. This is a chance for us to look at this. Cassidy didn't put this together for this sermon. Cassidy studies the word because she loves the word. 
That's why she's studying it. She came and shared it that night. She didn't know who would be called on. I picked people at random. You know who was next? Peyton. Peyton was next. And when he gives his scripture string, he starts with Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants, servant of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you. Somebody say what's next. And your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Consider the cost of bearing what seems like an innocent offense. I don't know. I just don't really feel like I belong here. Well, that's because you're listening to the devil. These brothers concoct a lie. And by the way, they tried to murder their brother and then sell him into slavery before this. But they concoct a lie. They say, you know, our father's dead, but we're going to pretend that while he was still alive, he said this to us. He didn't. We're going to totally make it up. Does Joseph have every reason to be offended? Every reason. He decides not to be offended. He sees God working through it, in it. But here's the thing that's so easy to miss. And Peyton pointed this out. It's a six scripture string. Peyton brought it, man. He said, you know who benefited was the children. Joseph provided for their children. You know that when you allow unfaithful behavior to define your home, who will suffer? Your children. Do you know when you... Proverbs says, it is to a man's glory to overlook an offense. His patience gives him wisdom. When you can look past the circumstance that's there, there will be glory and wisdom that is passed to your children. Are you passing offenses to your children? Are you teaching your kids not to be happy no matter what happens? Do you start your conversations with them like this? What's wrong, Chloe? Assuming something's wrong. You ask, is something got you down? Is it your stomach? Oh, sweetheart, is it, is, is it your sad? Did Carlos say something to you? Are you breeding into your children the need to be offended and that's the excuse for their behavior? Because in Christ, the word of God is supposed to enter us and we're supposed to be free of this behavior. If we're speaking the word into our own lives, then surely we'll speak it into our children. But if we won't accept this kind of word in our life, do you know what we do to our children? We teach them anytime something is wrong, it's somebody else's fault. Church, that's not the faithful church of the living God holding out the word of life for truth. Holding out the word of life for truth deals honestly with your imperfections before ever considering another person's. You know, when people start to do this, 
And I'm going to brag on David for a minute. David's been telling me lately how blessed he is by traveling to the houses in the church and just encouraging people. He said, you know, I was down before I started to do this. I was fighting with depression, but as I started to encourage other people, I found out that I was encouraged. He said, it's amazing how that works. Or you could spend a decade hiding in your room pretending that nobody likes you because you simply will not reach out to make contact with them. You know what's interesting? When you're in relationship over a decade, you can see, hey, no, it's not circumstance because I knew this person when they were 16, when they were 20, when they were 26, when they're 36, 46, and they've always been unhappy. See, circumstance won't fix that. You know what will fix that? The penetrating word of the living God. Do we need to get serious about the living God today? While we're on that subject, Peyton went on to describe in 2 Samuel 15, Ittai the Gittite. And the way David discouraged Ittai from following him. No, no, no. Go back. You're a foreigner. Don't, don't follow me. Ittai pushed past the discouragement of David. And do you know who was following Ittai? His little ones. So those little ones will live in the blessing of God because David discouraged Ittai and Ittai pushed past it. If there are bars to you being in fellowship with the people around you, Ittai the Gittite pushed past him. And do you know what happened? His family line was blessed. He ended up in charge of a third of Israel's army. He goes down as a great man of faith, even though he's from the same hometown as David's giant opposition, Goliath. Is that incredible? What will happen if you push past it? The last thing that Peyton shared with us was from Luke 17. In Luke 17, he says, offenses must come. Offenses must what? All kinds of things are going to happen that are discouraging. Some of you might even be upset with me now. I've learned to live with that. You have no idea how thick my skin is. He said, but woe unto the one that come through. And if you make one of these little ones... Little ones, stumble. It'd be better for you to have something tied around your neck and thrown in the sea. I want you to consider what that means. That means if you are living in an unfaithful way, you are causing your little ones to stumble. And Jesus is saying, I will hang a millstone around your neck for living like that. You know how you can point that out sometimes? You're already living like there's a millstone around your neck. It's pulling at the corners of your face so that you can barely smile. And when you do, it's just until the person walks off. See, the gospel is of good news. It brings great joy. It transforms lives. And if you have found a way to be unhappy while experiencing the king of glory and the uh, kingdom of heaven all around us, then something needs to change in you, doesn't it? With all of my heart, that's what I want. Let's go to Ephesians 2 and verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgression and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. This came from meeting with the Vincents through Skype. They were sharing this verse with me because they figured out why people are disobedient. There's a spirit of the world who is at work in people trying to cause them to disobey. Do you know what another way to say that is? 
cause you to break your faithfulness. See, when you say, I'm going to follow the Lord, I'll lose all things no matter what. I'm going to be joyful always. Uh, uh, pray continually. This is God's will for me in Christ Jesus. The first time that you have a thought that says, why did Nick look at me that way? He's always looking at me that way. You know, I just, I don't feel so comfortable at Nick's house. The first time you have that, you know what that is? It's the same spirit that's running the world outside of the kingdom. And he's trying to make you as disobedient as he is. But that's not how we do it. We say, Nick shouldn't have looked at me that way. We say, Nick always looks at me that way. The problem is always somewhere else. And yet, no matter where we transplant you, your behavior remains the same. Now, I believe that it's as quiet in here as it is because I'm a pastor and I've put my finger on a problem in the church. Maybe you're used to going to churches where they don't do that. Where we just show up and smile really big and tell everybody that you're a champion. And by the way, put some money in the plate and we'll build an even bigger building. I really don't give two cents about the building. I also will never acknowledge whether you put a dollar in the plate or not. Never. Not if it's a million, not if it's two cents. Never. I don't want your money. You know what I will be judged by? I'll be judged by whether or not I challenged your condition and encouraged you to become faithful. And I take that really, really seriously. You know, one of the most beautiful things in this church is that people that have come in in the last few years have skyrocketed. They have so taken off. It's been incredible. It's like when you say my English teacher is unfair. My English teacher is hard on me. My English teacher just doesn't like me. And then an Asian fresh off the boat has an A plus in English. It's obviously the English teacher, isn't it? These deceptions are aimed at our disobedience, at us becoming unfaithful. John and Joy gave us an amazing testimony of what only 13 years does. In 13 years, their entire financial picture changed. In 13 years, their occupation totally changed. In 13 years, their sterile situation completely changed. In 13 years, they went from having lost all things to gained all of you. And they are blessed for it. In 13 years, can I tell you, they lived with me for four. How offended do you think they were at times? But they moved on in faithfulness. God will do more with your faithfulness than you'll ever do by hanging on to your offense. In fact, you might be trying to poison somebody else with offense, but it's you who drinks it and dies. Turn with me to Matthew 23. We'll move on to better things. In Matthew 23, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees. This is 23, 23. You hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. People look at this and say, oh man, those teachers of the law are such bad people. No, we're missing it. The camel is the largest unclean animal. The gnat is the smallest unclean animal. And they knew to get rid of the gnat, but they were swallowing bigger unclean things without having known it. And why were they? Because they were paying every attention to the smallest detail, but missing the largest issues of faithfulness towards God. Can I tell you, you can speak Hebrew. 
You can be a Bible school graduate. You can think that you have so much to offer the world. And if your life is not demonstrating faithfulness, then you don't have any more to offer the world than these guys had to offer the world. Revelation 13 and verse 9. We will have covered every section of the Bible by this point. 13 verse 9. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. That could be offensive. Anybody ever asked what your calling is? Anybody like, what, what can I do for the Lord? Uh, you can die. You don't want to die? You can go to prison. You like to go to prison for the Lord? This was normal Christianity for 400 years. Do you know what the Spirit says here? This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Saints, I want to encourage you that if you will make up your mind, I'm going from point A to point B because God has said so. And I don't give a damn what happens between here and there. I will not break my course. If you will approach the kingdom like that, like anything that gets in the way between point A and point B is an enemy to be thrown out, even if it originated in your own mind, well, then you might be able to put together some faithfulness. I believe the Lord is calling us to faithfulness. Do you? It's easy to think that you will be faithful in the moments described in Revelation. Faithfulness is not a matter of moments. Faithfulness is always measured in decades. I want to tell you a story about two brothers, the Elliot brothers. The first one, Jim Elliot. How many of you have heard of this guy? His wife wrote a book, Through the Gates of Splendor. There was even a movie. He was a missionary to Ecuador, and he gave his life in the 1950s in a single day. His children went back and witnessed to the tribe that killed him, and they were converted. So he was popular in Christianity and a, and a good man. I've been quoting him for years. My favorite quote from him, he wrote in his diary the week before he died. He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He went on to say, wherever you are, be all there. <laughs> you know, that's simple wisdom. And I loved it. The last thing that was recorded that I remember in his diary was God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. When you say, Lord, what is best for me? Jim was an amazing guy. And the whole world seems to know who he is. He's a missionary to Ecuador. And why? Because he was martyred in a moment. Let's take our next slide. Who is this guy? This is Jim's unknown older brother, Bert. I don't see Wikipedia articles on Bert. I've never seen a book in a Christian bookstore on Bert, but I've seen many on Jim. That's Bert's wife, Connie. In 1949, when this picture was taken, Bert and Colleen, I said Connie, I meant Colleen, were students in Bible college. There they were invited by a missionary to Peru, same country that we just sent Buddy to and support Buddy every month. They were missionaries on the field before Jim ever became a missionary. Nobody knows their name. Bert died February 17th, 62 years after he got to Peru. 
and he died in Peru. He was 87 years old. Bert moved to Peru, ministered in Peru for 62 years in the jungles of Peru. And died at 87 years old, still on the field. I want to show you the next picture of Bert. This is him in Peru at 87 years old. Now, if Jim, his brother, was an amazing shooting star, he lasted and lit up the sky for a moment and the whole world took notice. But this guy was a blazing light for the gospel of Jesus Christ and a nation not his for 62 years. As far as I know, Jim Elliott never planted a church, but Bert Elliott planted hundreds of churches. I'm not suggesting that Jim did something wrong. Jim's an amazing guy. I'm suggesting something's wrong with us for esteeming Jim more than Bert. Jim gave his life in a faith-filled moment. Bert lived faithfully for 62 years on the mission field. In a jungle. Raising up hundreds of churches. You heard Pastor Wade's last message. We are as a church are supposed to be a bow. We want to launch out thousands of arrows into the Middle East, into the whole world. We want to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to read to you Bert's favorite quotes. These are scriptural quotes, his favorite. Daniel 12, 2. Multitudes that sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. Bert read that scripture every day and wanted to be faithful to leading people towards righteousness. I had lunch with Curtis here recently, and he told me that it was his goal every day to do what his mezuzah said. That's how you put together faithfulness. Every single... A day goes by and you don't get to do your mezuzah, that was not a good day. If you're in the church and you don't know what that is, we're speaking about the reason for which you were called. So Curtis believes that he is a teacher and I agree with him. So every day he wants to share something good from the Word of God with somebody. Whether it's at a gas station or work makes no difference because it's why he's here and he wants to be faithful to it. Now, if Curtis does that every day, do you know what Curtis will not be doing? Believing life's been unfair to him. Believing that somehow the church isn't enough for him. Because he'll be busy doing what he was designed to do and the church has prepared him to do. I love Curtis for that. I love all of you. That's why I'm telling you these things. You want to know what... Jim's second favorite scripture was. Isn't it good that we know this man's first and second favorite scripture? I'm not making it up. You can read Randy Alcorn's book about him. It's one of the few men that has written about him, and it says so in it. Psalm 16. Especially the portion that says, The lines or boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Do you, if you believe that God has put you in good circumstances, no matter how difficult they are, that the loving God that you serve has put you in a place that you can call pleasant because it gives you a chance to show faithfulness, that that's a good day? This is how you look at a trial with joy. This is how you can embrace adversity and not be overcome by it. You say, adversity? Amen. My Father put me here so that I can display His faithfulness 
And it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for God's power to overcome your obstacle. You know how obstacles are never defeated? By describing their size, their shape, their weight, their menacing nature, and concentrating on them. Church, faithfulness flows from a heart that trusts God's word and believes that in every circumstance he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you recognize that? It's the definition of faith. I want to share with you a last scripture. And in the last scripture, you will hear our testimony. We've been preaching now an hour and 16 minutes. And um, all I can say is that this is worth it. And that I hope that you will listen. I shared this in an impromptu fashion Thursday before last. And the people recorded it and said it was something that really blessed them. And I thought it was too good to share with 15 or 20 people in a living room. And I wanted to share it with you. Let's go to Zechariah 4 together. If everybody in the church that has a Bible would go to Zechariah 4. I can't tell you how many times I've been told that people just want to go to a church that makes them feel good. Try that with your doctor. You have a boil, but he just hides it and says, don't worry about it. Take a painkiller. You'll be good. You have a broken bone. He says, don't worry about it. Wear longer pants. Nobody will see it. You know, this is how, Bab- how Israel went into captivity in Babylon. The priest and the pastors, according to Lamentations 2.14, did not ward off their captivity by exposing their sin. My whole desire here is that we walk out of this room more committed than ever to faithfulness and better equipped to deal with the lies the devil has been telling us. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if I've touched on a deceptive lie that the devil has told you. I watched your faces drop. What I want you to understand is you're not the only one. Pastor, were you preaching to me? Yes, 100%. Any of you that asked, that's exactly what I'm going to say. But I've heard the same exact verbiage from house after house after house. What kind of pastor would I be if I didn't explain that to people? Secondly, if the drawing that you have to each other is that you are being told the same lie, that's only good if you're determined to defeat it together. But if you're just going to repeat it together, well, that's how Cain built his cities. We don't want that. We want each of you to succeed. In Zechariah 4, this is really the founding scripture of Matthew and I's journey together in this ministry. The angel who talked with me returned and wakened me as a man is wakened from his sleep. I got to tell you that at this moment, looking at that passage... I was discouraged because my relatives had left the ministry. They had decided that their commitment to move to this state, their commitment to sell their houses and do those things, was really misplaced. It took them less than six months to give up on us. They said that the ministry was not going to work. When that happened, can you imagine looking out and seeing your mother and father drive off, your sister and brother-in-law drive off, And your own parents don't believe that you can do it, what that must have been like. I couldn't sleep. I was troubled. I crawled out of bed, and I was weeping before the Lord. And I looked at Zechariah, 
to see what happened in my experience afterwards. The very first thing that happened is the Lord told me, you need to wake up. I don't mean from my sleep. I mean, once I was awake, you need to wake up. You need to see what the devil is doing around you and you need to wake up. Your eyes are on what those people just did to you and they're not on what they're doing to me. I was upset that they gave up on me. I was never occurred to me that they were giving up on Jesus' plan for their life. The angel who talked to me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from his sleep. I realized that I had been drifting into a slumber of offense. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with seven channels to those lights. Now I'm a pastor, so I knew what he was describing. It's the menorah of God. And the Lord began to deal with me in this time of prayer. And he said, is my presence among you or not? Yes, Lord, your presence is in our services. I see it. I feel it. I know that you're here. Then that is enough for you. Stop worrying that other people aren't doing enough for you. Stop worrying that others aren't standing with you. I stand with you. Can I tell you, saint, that you and the Lord are a majority? You don't need the rest of the world to stand with you. If you stand with the Lord and Him with you, that ought to be enough for you. You know, you can't see that when you are busy thinking about what everybody else has not done for you. you got to wake up. I began to awaken more than one way. I started to look and go, we're meeting in a garage and the God of the universe is meeting with us. How special is that? It made me start to say my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. It made me begin to have gratitude where there had been an attitude of sin in my heart and mind. God Himself began to correct me And the grace of God allowed me to receive it. Can I tell you, it didn't make what my relatives did better. It made me better. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. During my time of prayer with the Lord before I even opened this, God began to deal with me. It was out of Acts 16. He said, I'm going to send someone to you. Lord, everybody's leaving. You told me to open my garage, put 50 chairs in it. You were going to build a ministry that touched the world and we can't fill up a couch in a living room. And Matthew's face came before me. Matthew had been faithful to the Lord. He'd been faithful to his wife. He'd been faithful to our friendship. And he said, I've anointed two for this task. Eric, I won't let you do this alone. Because if you did it alone, you would think it was you. I work in covenant. Now, how many of you have been in our church long enough to hear something about covenant? This is how I learned it. And standing on the left and the right of the presence of God in this passage and in my experience, I realized I wasn't standing alone. The Lord would raise up other faithful ministers. In Acts 16, I looked at Paul suffering a loss with Barnabas. Hurt, sharp disagreement 
But God added Timothy and Silas. And Timothy was willing to be cut in his flesh to join. He was willing to bleed if it had to. He said, you and Matthew must be willing to bleed. You will chain yourself to the calling. You'll be leaders that are marked by a bloody sign. You must be faithful no matter what happens. As I went on to read Acts, I realized that Paul was in jail with Silas. He was in jail with Timothy. And the prisoners were listening to them sing praises. And he said to me, no matter how bad it gets, I will not permit out of your mouth things other than praise. I tell you, I've got a long ways to go. But he was showing me the way to win. How to become faithful. That story goes on to have prison doors come open and a Macedonian gets saved. One life in Macedonia. He gets saved. The Macedonian then goes and gets his family who gets saved. Then there's a church planted in Macedonia. That's how we have one life, one family, one nation in this ministry. That's how we got those terms. But it happened for me needing to be woken up. It happened for me needing to realize God was standing with me. Can I tell you, I'm not the only one that the menorah is standing with. Let me ask you, however bad you think things are in your home and all the ways in which the church has let you down, has the presence of the Lord been there for you or not? Then what else do you need? I want to tell you there's two anointed for a task. You're not supposed to be doing this alone. You're supposed to be partnering with people to do it. And the reason that some of you don't have partners is just because we live in unfaithful times. But that shouldn't stop you from being faithful. And God will raise up others. Let's take that next verse, verse 4. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. I'm going to be honest, when I read this, I felt the frustration that Zechariah must have felt. I wouldn't ask if I knew, Lord. I mean, you think I'm getting this, and and the thing is, is I'm not getting it. I don't understand what's happening around me, and I don't like it. Am I the only one felt that way? The angel not only expected him to understand, he took the time to teach him when he didn't. If you find yourself in a position that you're not happy with, heaven will take the time to help you get out of it. Let's take the next verse. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. We read this, and it's usually the kind of thing a young Christian man wears on his shirt on the way to the gym. Despite my awesome gun show, despite my rippled abs, I'm really only living by the spirit, as long as there's sufficient glory in it for me. I mean, when we see this, that is usually how it's presented. But that morning, when all macho bravado was stripped away, when all hope was stripped away, when I thought I had failed and could not succeed, when I read this, do you know what I saw? No. Despite your weakness, despite your unfaithfulness, my spirit will enter you Week after week, month after month, year after year, I will cause you to be faithful to this task until my spirit has accomplished it. See, we tend to think that this means that his spirit will come on you and in a moment 
you will accomplish it. No, the whole purpose is that His Spirit comes on you and you patiently, persistently endure, you persevere until you have overcome the adversary that is before you. We're going to come right back to this, but first go to Matthew 21, 21. So I occasionally lie when I preach. I told you this was the last scripture, but I think you need Matthew 21 to understand this. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you can have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. When charismatic Christians read a verse like this, we picture Jesus like Darth Vader forcing the mountain into the ocean. And we think that if we just had enough positive thought that we could also do that. That's not at all what this means. You said, but wait, he cursed a fig tree in a moment. No, friends, that fig tree was working on its own curse for many decades. He just pronounced what was already happening. The backdrop for this is Zechariah. When God tells Zechariah, it's not by your might, not by your strength, it will be by my spirit. Zechariah had been charged, I'm sorry, Zerubbabel in the book of Zechariah. Zerubbabel had been charged with building the temple. The temple had been destroyed. And because the temple was destroyed, it was now in need of being rebuilt. Understand the scenario. Solomon built the first temple and it was the wonder of the world. But his father left him all of the resources. He inherited a kingdom that had put down all enemies. They were the world's major power. When Zechariah is talking to Zerubbabel, he has to rebuild it. And they're fresh out of slavery. They have no stored up resources. They have nothing. So what do you think Zerubbabel is feeling like? I can't do this. And if I start, I won't finish. And if I finish, it won't look like the first one. Can you imagine what that pressure was like? He did get it complete. We're going to go back and look at that. He had to move an entire mountaintop to do it. He had to level a whole mountain. It took him 21 years. The Spirit moved on him to help him 21 years. Years, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, God will move mountains for you through decades. It took Abraham decades. It took Noah decades. It took Daniel decades. It took Moses decades. We're the only people in the world that believe so strongly in instant gratification. We want it done in a second at an altar because then it doesn't require faithfulness. Let's go back to Zechariah and finish our passage. In Zechariah 4 and in verse 6. So he said to me, this is what the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel is. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. He is telling Zerubbabel that the mountain before him is nothing in comparison with the man filled with the Spirit of God. Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Then what can overcome you? Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Then what is there to grumble about? 
Are you filled with the Spirit of God? How can we not see our boundary lines having fallen in pleasant places? Why well, I just don't feel like I can connect. Are you telling me that the Spirit of God inside of you is not enough to help you connect with other members of this body? Do you see how shallow this is? It is an easy, easy thing. To look at a mountain and just say, I can't, it's too tall, it's a big problem. It takes a man filled with the Spirit of God to look into the abyss of all that you cannot do. And know that God will do it for you. Day after day, 21 years, he showed up. What are you, mighty mountain before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. He is promising here what a New Testament passage later says. He who is beginning this work will be faithful to complete it. The question is not will God be faithful. The question is very simple. Are you being faithful? See, in my experience, I realized that I was using the abandonment of other people as an excuse to begin to pave the way for unfaithfulness. It's okay, brother. It's, it's, it's all right. Why don't you have a seat? And Cody, would you take care of that? I'm thankful for that. You can go ahead and have a seat, though. I was using the opportunity that other brothers, other sisters, had done something wrong as an excuse for me to not have to be faithful, and I didn't even know it. See, I would have succeeded had it not been for them abandoning. I would have made it had it not been for them. I would have done this if it had not been for them. Do you see how deceptive offense is? Do you see how devilish it is? You know, I won't be charged on the day of the Lord's coming for what they did. But if I allow myself to be unfaithful, I will be charged with that. 4-9. Then the word of the Lord, I'm sorry, the hands of Zerubbabel, 4-9, please. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands will also complete it. Consider what the Lord is saying to you and what he said to me. I helped you get a start. You've begun. That's something. And I will help you complete it. Look, when you're thinking about your life as we sit here right now, so many things maybe the Lord hasn't done for you. Maybe he's told you that you have this certain calling that you're going to step in, that you're going to walk in, and you haven't seen that. But has he, has he saved you from a life of sin? Has he been good to you? What makes you think he won't? Well, it's taking a long time. That's what faithfulness is, is that it's taking a long time. That really is the issue, isn't it? Then you will know the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. You know the odd part of this? Zechariah is telling Zerubbabel, you will know the Lord has sent me to you when your hands complete it. Do you know how long that is from the time that he said this? 21 years. You're going to know how true the words are when you have persisted for 21 years and you get what I'm saying today you'll get. That is an incredible concept. You mean the Lord might tell a single person, I'm going to give you a spouse, and you can worry that you're not going to get that spouse? You can 
agonize over it in your heart. You can pray. You can do all of those things. But on the day that you get the spouse, you'll know how true that word was. (laughs) See, you'll never know how close you came to succeeding if you give up. What I'm suggesting to you is that God is a faithful God. That he wants you to be faithful. They will bring out the capstone of your promises to shouts of God bless it. If you are faithful. How many parables did Jesus say and teach about faithfulness? We had an unjust judge and a widow. And she came to him every day. And eventually the unjust judge gave in to her request. How much more will the righteous judge meet your need? And Jesus asked a question. Will the son of man find faithfulness on the earth when he returns? His promises are true. True is another word for faithful. His promises are faithful. As you stand to your feet, the question for you becomes, are you being faithful? You can stand to your feet. Look, when we have a service where two of five mics don't work, where one of two computers crashes, where one screen goes down, And where ceiling tiles are falling from the ceiling after eight years in their place. And a faithful guest who tried to help, and I'm thankful for that. When we have these kind of things happening here, please don't think that there's not an actual spiritual battle happening aimed at you either being affected positively for the kingdom or walking out of here subject to the same things that you were before. When we see these things happening, you have to know something. The spiritual powers are starting to clash and muscles are starting to tense. Because if the devil can keep you in the same position he's had you in, he might choke the life out of you. But if today through the word of God you can cut off an unfaithful behavior, if you can be anointed of the spirit to move in a new direction of commitment and obedience to the Lord, Well, you might put your foot on the neck of the enemy. How how important these next few minutes may be for you. I'm going to tell you the truth. We are a completely independent church. We don't report numbers of baptisms anywhere. We don't have a notch somewhere on the back pastoral wall for each person that responds. And I think those kind of things are disgusting. I don't like pastors who do those things or put donors on bricks or we have one concern right now and it's not for some show for men. It's for how your life will be defined as faithful or as somebody who had momentary faith but really their life was altogether unfaithful. I believe that the king is worthy of your very best. I'm going to do something as bold as I know how to do it. I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to move in this room. To challenge not one or two people, every person. And to highlight to you in the next ten seconds an area that you must repent in. If he doesn't do it, then that's his prerogative. But I believe he called me to do this so that he would do it and you would respond.
And if he highlights to you an area and you don't, well, what makes you think he'll ever ask you again? The God of the universe is jealous for 100% of your obedience. I think he deserves that. If you need to be baptized in the Spirit, come see me or Matthew. We will pray with you and 100% you'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. If you're a Christian, you can be filled with the Holy Ghost. If you need to be saved, it starts with repentance. There's no other way. If you are in love with Jesus Christian, but you're looking at your walk and you're going, I'm embarrassed. When I look at it honestly, I'm embarrassed. The Lord is worthy of better than I'm doing. This is the time for repentance. We're not going to go pray for people that are at the altar that don't ask. Today is your day at the altar. It's between you and the Lord. But if you want prayer, ask us. We're just going to close and worship in prayer. And I'm going to ask the Lord to do that. And I know that he will. I, I know that he will because I know for sure that I'm preaching to you, not someone else. Father.